0: Recorded in the comfy confines of the Auto Media Group Studios, we bring you the Get Deep Podcast, part of the Connect Podcast Network. Join friends and business owners Aaron Jones and Wes Otto as they bring forth stories of guests who are movers and shakers in their industries and beyond one of the other band members and say, kiss the mic. Yeah,
1: make out with <laughs> that <right>. thing.
0: <laughs> we might have to use that tonight. Kiss the mic, here.
1: Kiss the mic. I might end up anyways, depending on how much wine I have, right? That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us on the Get Deep Podcast this beautiful March evening. We're in studio tonight with uh, the Tim Penny. Well, I mean, maybe we should say the whole name. Timothy Joseph Penny. Born November nineteenth, maybe we're not supposed to say when, but November nineteenth.
0: No, no. I've I've come to come to terms with aging, seasoned, right? Yeah, baby boomers don't want to get old, but uh, you can't avoid it.
1: <laughs> Born November nineteenth, nineteen fifty one, Tim Penny, an American author, musician, former politician from Minnesota. Uh, Penny was the Democratic Farmer Labor member of the United States House of Representatives, 1983 to 1995. If something is wrong here, you correct me. You just interrupt me.
0: I'll try. This is probably Wikipedia. They're they're not entirely accurate. Yes, in, in all respects. So I'll I'll correct you if I hear anything you, that doesn't quite ring true.
2: You get the distinction of being, I think, our only guest that has a Wikipedia page. <laughs> so far. And I don't.
0: So. And I don't know where these Wikipedia things come from. Right. I, mean, we, I didn't create it. I don't know how right. it got there. And I don't know who contributes to it, but I have noticed over time that there are sometimes things in there that aren't quite spot on. That need to get edited and And, and I yeah. don't know how to edit it either. I do my son Marcus, I've asked him to correct one or two things, I think I didn't like the photo they were using, <laughs> uh, and I think he found a way to get a better photo posted there. But that's about all I know about it. Well, well the one that's in there right now. What I know about it is talk to someone younger, <laughs> and, they can, and they can take care of it. If you ever I, need a PR I, agency, well, Tim? I think my, we can help you my out. My granddaughter Ramona was so good about helping me with with social media um, when, even when she was in like elementary school. And I would ask her, "Could you do this for me?" And the first thing she would always say is, "Oh, Papa, like this is so simple. Why can't you figure this out?"
1: I'm just trying to help you grow, honey. Right. Well, the picture that they have in there, by the way, Tim, is good. It's it looks like it's on vacation. It's like a beach speedo or something like that. So, oh yeah, really? I, I think you leave that one in <laughs> there. It's I, it's great.
0: It should be a picture with me and my granddaughter. Is that down Donna It's not up there any longer?
1: No. I think it's a different one. Oh, okay. I think it because is. Because I
0: remember I took her to like the 150th anniversary of the um, general store in Fremont, Minnesota, named after John C. Fremont, who ran for president unsuccessfully uh, prior to Lincoln, like four years earlier. And then Lincoln put him in charge of the military... Operations in the greater St. Louis area, and he created a lot of problems because he had a big eagle. Um, so, anyway, I was invited to give a short talk at this anniversary uh, program at the Fremont store, which is over between Winona and Rochester. So, I took my two year old granddaughter with me, Ramona, and um, she started messing around with the microphone, and it was like, I'm She's, she's given me the hook. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ending my speech now, and I think the audience was appreciative that she <laughs> cut things short. Thank goodness for voting. But that's the, pic- the picture that well, used to be on Wikipedia. That's okay. right. There, there it is. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Let me see
1: that. See, Let me
2: see My, my research people oh, came that's through cute. for me. Because we not only have that, but we also have oh, your wow. Tom Petty lookalike photo, I think, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Somebody <laughs> put this. See, and I don't
0: know how these pictures got there. Um, but one of them, I think, might have been placed there by my son Marcus, who okay. knew that I didn't like sort of the profile photo that was sure headshot photo that was on the site.
1: Well, that's a fun that's a fun uh, picture of you guys in 2006 there. That's cool, and that's also a great picture over there, mm-hmm. Mr. Lead Penny yeah. himself, huh? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So it's a band, uh Lead Penny that's been we've been at it for. 20-some years now. Um, it's basically a family band. The drummer has always been you know, a, f- a friend of ours that, that um, is, is good on, on percussion.
2: How many people in the band?
0: Well, it varies. Uh, it started out um, being my brother, my older brother, myself, his son, my son, and then a friend who did the drumming. Uh, and now it's my older brother myself his son and one or two grandsons so it's becoming more my brother's family band and sure. I'm just kind of the appendage <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah we've been doing it for about 22 years maybe sure. um that's awesome and you know I mean, we we we've done lots of bars in southern minnesota we've done uh community festivals in southern minnesota like uh, bullhead days in waterville and we always do the steel county fair on saturday afternoon at their beer garden and so uh, we're not um trying to book as much nowadays my older brother said that it was just getting to be too much of a chore and a little less fun so we don't book in the winter and we don't do as many bars because that runs you to you know one or two in the morning and uh so we really prefer quieter affairs county, county fairs in the middle of the afternoon is is the ideal that's the sweet spot
2: so rock and roll but did you rock and roll. do covers or did you write your own stuff all
0: covers I, I have written music but nothing that the band would play what's your favorite uh, my, stuff to cover um well we do the beatles we do creedence clearwater we do a little bit of eagles nice. uh, we we do leonard skinner um, love all of it yeah so and you're lead. So it's six, no, I'm not. And that's where we can. Is that is wrong? wrong? I said you were lead vocalist. I was going to ask you to sing no. tonight. We Son of a... We all well, we all sing. See you later. Um, my nephew okay. is the lead guitarist, and he's primarily the lead singer. Okay, sure. Um, my brother Dan uh, and I sing on certain songs where our voices are more suited to that song. Uh, and then on virtually every song, we all harmonize. So, um Yeah. I don't know who put that on Wikipedia <laughs> and I hope that my nephew doesn't read my biography on Wikipedia because he would not like me being referred to as the lead singer.
2: Well, if anyone's interested in a position, I think Tim Penny might need someone to just full-time manage the Wikipedia at this point. There's a lot of They're inaccuracies.
0: T- <laughs> there are oh, several, man. no doubt.
1: So the band, 22 years. That's awesome. Um, you know, there's there's a party. I'm just throwing this out there. Uh, we're going to be planning a uh, Jay. You're hearing it here first, folks. It's in the in the planning phase. Cork and Key on Madison Avenue and Jay Longs in between our buildings. We're neighbors. Planning on throwing a summer party in early June. Hmm. Maybe we could get you guys back on stage. It'd be a day event.
0: Well, my big brother Not would to put like you on that. the spot. My big brother would like that. Get me the date.
1: Yeah, it'd yeah. be kind of fun we're planning on having two to three bands is what we're thinking so yeah. i think it'd be uh, i think it'd be fun so but we're still in the planning phase i'll keep you posted though yeah please do i love it
2: i'll drink some stuff i'll buy some stuff
1: well when you said leonard Skinner and and some of the other bands you mentioned creedence what plays in the store already. right it's yeah. a lot of bob yeah. seger we play in the store but
0: we yeah we didn't do bob seger but uh, you know if it's 60s, 70s 80s that's kind of where right. we where yeah. we lie and um i think on our website and nobody goes to the facebook or the website for the lead penny band uh but i think uh one of our former band members came up with a slogan the rock you remember (laughs) and and we we sort of don't play anything that isn't familiar to the audience spot on
1: so if i wanted to book you guys though do i talk to you directly or somebody
0: talk to me and i'll turn you over to my older brother love it because um he doesn't think i negotiate well enough
1: (laughs) I think i want to work with you <laughs> actually now that you say that <laughs> very good uh, that's great cool well let's let's uh let's talk about your political career um i feel like that would be it's such a big portion of of your life um actually before we do that let's let's talk about um we we try to kind of go in chronological order we take paths outside of that and that's totally fine but let's talk about where you grew up tim like uh you know Minnesota boy. Let's talk about how you grew up and
0: grew up on a family farm um, between Albert Lee and Bloor. Okay. Just a few miles north of the Iowa border. Um, my great-great-grandfather homesteaded on northwest of Albert Lee back in 1862. Um, somewhere in the family archives there's a land deed under the homestead law that was signed by Abraham Lincoln, or a secretary that could sign his name just as well as he could sign it himself. <laughs> um, and uh, and actually, that, that piece of property is no longer in the family, uh, but it is adjacent to a tiny, tiny lake um, called Penny Lake. So we are one of the Thank at least 10,000, although I think more accurately fourteen. Thousand lakes that are here in the state. So it's five generations. Uh, I represent the fifth generation, Um, and um, or my kids do. So it was a typical family farm back in the 50s and 60s. Um, Hogs, dairy cows, some sheep once in a while, Um, chickens, ducks, guinea hens for no apparent reason. And um, so there was work for all of us, seven kids in the family. But my dad got out of farming... um, by the time I was heading into high school, and so he went to work in a local factory as a tool and die man, and uh, so th- those are my roots, and um, went to high school in Keister, Minnesota, which is now part of the United South Central District, so it's Wells, Keister, Bryceland Freeborn, um, Easton. Um, and in um, the town of Keister, when I was in school all those many decades ago, had a population of 750. I just went down to visit my younger brothers and my sister yesterday, and uh, the sign as you enter town says population 488. So like a lot of other smaller farming communities in our state, uh, they get hit pretty hard. and uh, uh, So there's not as much of an economy there as there used to be. But those are my roots, small town and small farm.
1: I'm, I guess I'm curious, how was your upbringing? You're one of seven kids, um, farm family. Did you guys, did your parents do pretty good? Um, yeah, well, was, well, do you, you know, I, struggling? Always,
0: I always felt like, like we weren't rich. There were classmates of mine that I thought came from better-off families, and our farm was not that big, 160 acres, 25 milk cows, you know. Um, but whenever I would say to my mother, you know, like we're, we're not well off. She was like, what do you mean? We live comfortably. Yeah. And we did. I mean, meals, first of all, back in those days, everybody had to sit around the same table and seven kids mm-hmm. and the parents, that's uh, a lot of people at one table. But, you know, we yeah, we never went wanting for anything. You know, so it was not, we weren't like rich farmers, but we, we were doing fine. One story about my, my grandpa, this is not my dad, but it's my grandpa, but it, it has to do with a bunch of people around the table. And with that number of kids, there's often somebody that doesn't want to eat this or doesn't want to eat that. And uh, my grandpa would often say, um, I don't care if you eat or not, you still have to sit at the table and help pass things. <laughs> so there's still a role for you at this table. Sure. But I was, I was sort of I would eat anything that was put in front of me. And I was kind of known for that at school as well. And we went to a, uh, I guess i call it a three-room country school. It was basically one-room country schools that were brought to the same piece of property and connected with a common entry. And we called one room, even though they were all the same size, usually small white country schools, uh, we called one room the little room. That was first, second, third grade. The other room was the big room, fifth, sixth, or fourth, fifth, sixth grade. And the other room was um, the um, the cafeteria, and uh, and I was uh, and I was the only kid in the school that would eat like anything that the <laughs> lunch lady put on the plate. Uh, and then I, she would often ask me to take the garbage out after lunch, and then I'd come back and she'd give me a candy bar. So that was my reward for being.
1: You were a favorite.
0: Yeah, being, being uh, what. Still eat anything? Having a big palate.
1: <laughs> Still eat
2: anything put in front of you?
0: No, no. I, you know, there's <laughs> something about aging that you get to about age 40, at least in my case, and, and you don't have as big an appetite as you used to have. But, I, uh, yeah, but which was kind of funny because I was really kind of shrimpy as a kid. And so I ate a lot and just didn't grow. Graduated from I went my senior year in high school, I weighed 112 pounds, and... Um, I somehow convinced our family doctor to let me wrestle at ninety eight. So I lost a lot of weight I shouldn't have been losing when I was still trying to grow. And uh, graduated from high school five foot four and graduated from college five foot eleven. So wow. somehow or other it was a late growth spurt. So all that eating I did as a little kid didn't produce much until little ketchup. I was Out of high school and off to college. Where'd you go to college? Winona State University.
2: And how'd you pick that?
0: Uh, My, um, well, I was the first in our family to go to college. My two older brothers did not. They both ended up in the military. Uh, My older brother, the the one that's in the band, um, went went into the Navy, spent four years there. Uh, My next older brother worked at the same factory with my dad. Um, and then got drafted. So um, he did two years, uh, and one of those years was in Vietnam. Uh, he um, ended up with some shrapnel and some injuries, but uh, thank God came home. Um, and um, so, I, I, you know, the, the family member that uh, I really admired was my, my um, Uncle Jim, who was the younger brother of my mom. And he went off to Winona State um, to play football, and, um to and then got a teaching degree and so that was really the only college I had any particular interest in I went over there and, and um yeah I it you know but back then was you know it was the baby boom so all of the college campuses were like growing they were building new dormitories and and um what's what's really great about my alma mater now is that if if you go there the campus is, is landscaped in a way that you kind of feel like you're at an exclusive private college. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a gorgeous campus, and it wasn't that way when I was there, but uh, um, that's where I went to college, studied political science, got an internship at the state capitol, and I often tell students um, that, you know, you get a chance to do an internship. Very often it's going to change the trajectory of your, your life because Everything I've kind of done started with that internship uh, in St. Paul.
2: So, when you went to Winona, did you know that you were going to go into political science, or was that something I did? And And I
0: thought I was going to teach until I took a couple teacher prep classes, and I didn't think they were all that great. So then I thought, well, I'll just get a BA instead of a BS and see where it takes me.
1: The area around Winona—I just have to ask because you were talking about just. It, it's so beautiful, the bluffs, right? Did you spend some days potentially drinking beers up in those uh, bluffs um, overlooking the I valley?
0: Did, I, I'll put it this way. Spring semester is the only semester that I took exclusively morning classes because uh, and my wife Barb came followed me to Winona State, so we were there together. Um, and uh, and at noon we'd go down to Lake Winona, which is really just what used to be one of the channels of the river, and so it's kind of set apart from the river. Winona is really a sandbar. Uh, and so we'd go to the beach by the lake and spend our afternoons there, and um, I don't know that we often took alcoholic beverages there. Uh, that was more of a Charlie's Bar thing. Ah, Charlie's Which had a Bar. foosball table. And you could buy, I believe, for a dollar a glass of beer, a hamburger, and a hard-boiled egg. <laughs> there
1: you go. Got to have that hard-boiled egg in there. That's awesome. <laughs> At
0: least for me, Ooh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was like the perfect meal. Yeah, yeah, it's a hell of a deal. Funny.
1: <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Well, back to uh, political, political science. So um, how was that experience there? Did you have a professor that... You were studying it, but, you know, a lot of people study certain topics and, you know, depending on the professor or somebody that's teaching these subjects, they may change and do something else so they're turned off or they're turned more on about it. How was that experience studying there?
0: Well, my very first political science class, the very first semester I was in college was just intro to political science and it was about political thought, political theory. So we studied Hobbes and Locke and Machiavelli and Rousseau and, you know, the list goes on and on. And I wouldn't say that subject matter was all that exciting. It was all about political theory, um, but the teacher was um, a retired Marine Colonel uh, who had gone to Saint John University. Jim Eddy was his name, and uh, and and I I was just wowed by this guy. Um, He just brought a lot of, um, I don't know, life experience into the classroom. uh, Was very engaging in the way he presented the material. Um, and um, he became a lifelong mentor, frankly. He just passed away three years ago, and uh, I would stop by to visit him regularly all through the years. When I was in politics, uh, he he was doing the, the grunt work in Winona. He would go out and put up signs all over town. He'd call, call on a couple of his friends. They'd go out and put out Tim Penny literature all over town. So here he's my mentor, but he's he's doing all this grassroots work for me and he and his wife uh, were like extra parents to me. And they, they died within like three months of one another. She died in, I believe, April and he in June. Um, and, I, and I think when he lost her, he just lost his interest in living any longer.
2: Broken heart syndrome.
0: Yeah, it really was. Yeah. But he was a sweet guy. And and um, so, yeah, so he was my inspiration, my very first semester in college, he's the one that lined up the internship for me at the state capitol. And that was in my sophomore year. And back then, I, I think I was the first intern uh, from Winona State because internships were not then what they are now. It's kind of a new experience. Uh, and um, and so he he always, and then when I was student body president and involved in all those campus um, political issues and whatever uh he was a, a very helpful guide through all of that um and then when i got into politics after um uh, after a, a, a period of time he continued to be a very helpful confidant and uh yeah anyway sweet guy miss him yeah jim eddie jim eddie okay
1: Eddy. Yep. Yeah. Did he ever write any uh, books or have anything that people can look up about him? I wish. I,
0: no. I don't believe he did. I don't okay. think he wrote any books. Um, and, um, but if you talk to anyone that uh, took political science courses during the time that he was there, I'm sure he left an impression on on many many other students. He was, and and he um, he took a real interest in. Um, Took a real interest in, in um, you know the broader issues, of what was going on in the world, but he he was increasingly frustrated with the direction politics was heading, um, because in his view that our, our system works best when you when you bring it closer to home. He was a real fan of the cooperative movement, the agricultural cooperatives, you know, the credit unions, things like that, because it was grassroots. And, uh, and I think he's, he's essentially right about that. We've lost a lot of the grassroots aspects to our politics where it's all about relationships and you as a candidate, you know, really knowing the people you want to serve and, and, um, and things kind of starting locally. Um, and, again, he was, he was right about that. And, and, uh, and, uh, and I certainly shared that viewpoint with, with him about the – is one of the reasons that in my years in politics, um, it was, it was, it was door-knocking. It was, you know, you've got a congressional district with 16 counties. You can't get to every door yourself, but you can get to every town, and you can have volunteers helping you. And it, Because I think it, it creates a different kind of relationship with the people that you want to serve, um, where they feel like they know you, and you certainly know them better because you've, you've met most of them face-to-face at some point or other, and, and he was really a strong believer in bringing politics back home.
2: Well, it feels like a much more honest and, and real way to lead in yep. that position. When you have that kind of connection to your district and, and the people in your district, it's you, you have a connection to their lives and their issues, and yeah. I think you have a better understanding of what's happening at home, and not every politician takes that approach, especially nowadays.
0: Yeah, I, it's, it's too, much, um, too much driven in the direction of money, Uh, and money of course is largely spent on mailings or media Uh, and of course now with social media that maybe doesn't cost you a lot but what it does is it costs it costs us civility because through social media you can do some very damaging things uh, and there's no accountability there Um, so um, long story short politics isn't today what it once was and while I no, I'm not one to always say we ought to be nostalgic for the good old days. There was something better about the way politics was practiced in the good old days.
2: Yeah. So jumping back to my question of of you went to Winona thinking that you might study that subject. Did you have ambitions even at a high school age of of
0: working th- in politics, yeah, running th- for I th- office? I think so, but you know, you you never know what path you're going to have an opportunity to, to follow. So, yeah, I, I think in the back of my mind is like someday maybe I'd like to run for office. Um, but I think um, the year that I graduated from college, uh, a farmer that lived like five miles down the road from us ran for the state legislature. And uh, he asked me if uh, I'd go to the county fair with him one day. And uh, so off to the county fair we went, and I watched him kind of work in the crowd and doing what politicians do. And on the way back from the county fair, he said, I want you to work on my campaign. So I came home from college virtually every weekend and did door knocking and put up signs and helped him get ready for the League of Women Voters debate and all of that stuff. And then he asked me if I would work for him at the state capitol, and I said, well, I've got to get a job. I'm graduating from college now. Um, so what I did is I worked for the Rock Island Railroad on the midnight shift, and then I worked for him uh, during the day to help him in his first term in the legislature. And um, he paid me $50 a week. Um, so I needed that Rock, and, that, uh, rock Island Railroad job. Um, but it was the best experience of my life. Um, and then two years later, he ran for re-election to the House, and... Uh, And I ran for election to the state senate in that same district. And uh, we ended up, both of us, um, getting elected that fall. He for his second term and me for my first term. And then we were just great, close partners during those six years. And then I got a chance to run for Congress. And he stayed in the state legislature for another 15, 20 years and did a great job serving that, that variable Freeborn County area.
2: So you ran for state senate as your your first race, and when you did that, um, tell us a little bit about the first time you went door knocking for yourself, as opposed to for another candidate.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I was mistaken for the paper boy a few times. Um, I was mistaken for <laughs> you. 24. Okay. Yeah, twenty four. Okay, I was mistaken for a Jehovah Witness uh, <laughs> on on a few occasions. Uh, I had a few encounters with some not so friendly dogs. Um, but mostly it was positive experience. And back then there weren't as many two income households. So you were, you were finding people at home, um, every day of the week and you, you're not door knocking on Sundays. You take your Sundays off unless it's a parade or something or the county fair. Um, but you could door knock six days a week and, uh, and meet an awful lot of people in that course of time. Um, and mostly I have positive feelings uh, about that experience. Um, and I think, as well, once you're elected, you have more of a connection to the people that elected you because a larger share of them have actually met you. Yeah. So I think it helps you do a better job.
2: So you ran under the DFL?
0: I was a Democrat then. Uh, 20 years ago, I gave up on the Democrats and became an independent.
2: Sure. And what was there anything specific to your platform that maybe was different from the DFL at that time when you first ran?
0: Um probably in some ways I was pretty fiscally conservative um, and uh, and I was really an advocate for small business and although the Democrats say that they you know their problems with big business a lot of the regulations the laws they pass have a disparate impact on smaller businesses and i don't think they quite understand uh, the burden that some of these policies that were meant to kind of stick it to the big businesses, actually hurt the small businesses.
1: At the time when you were canvassing or door knocking, all of that, what were kind of the uh, issues that the constituents, people that, you know, the the neighborhoods and such that you were knocking, what came up quite often, if you remember, in conversation? What was the issue of the day or issues of the day that people would say, well, you know, I just don't understand why this can't be fixed?
0: Yeah. Well, we were dealing with... um, very expensive workers' compensation insurance rates at the time. So I remember that coming up a lot with small businesses, is that uh, they, they felt that the, that law needed to be amended. And we, we ultimately did pass two or three changes uh, to that uh, insurance law during my time in the legislature and, and got some of that corrected. Um, so I know that that issue came up a lot. Um, uh, eminent domain came up from time to time because we were involved with construction projects here and there and and uh, there was always some controversy about uh, property rights sure. uh, when it came to those issues. Um, uh, you know, this was just a couple of years after the Roe v. Wade ruling at the, at the Supreme Court and, and so there was a, a lot of interest in, in abortion policy then only because uh, it had Recently, been approved in a sense by the Supreme Court, so there was a bit of a, a backlash against that, and uh, um, and there was a big division within the Democratic Party between pro-choice and pro-life Democrats at that time. So I know that was a big issue. Uh, there, there was then, just as there is today, a concern about you know retaining policies that make it possible for family farms to thrive. Of course, family farms are much bigger now than they were then. And so we sponsored legislation to uh, create um, lending programs at reasonable rates so that young people could get into agriculture. Um, ethanol, um, we called it gasohol back then, but it was just to create another market for corn um, to help boost prices for our farmers. Uh, that was a big issue then. Um, there's probably some other things that gave me more time to think about it. But that's 40 years ago, so right. <laughs> who, yeah. ca- who cares now? <laughs> he did pretty good. But I, I did, uh, I was the uh, the vice chair of the transportation committee my first year in, in the legislature, and uh, they then made me the chair of the railroad subcommittee. So I took the leadership role on anything related to the, the rail industry. Is that because that, of your work back in the... Well, you know, I, I had thin credentials, <laughs> but working the midnight shift <laughs> at the Island Railroad sure didn't hurt. Uh, and so I was really determined to find a way that we could help salvage some of these rural rail lines because if you don't have a rail line into these smaller towns, the elevators are going to dry up because they're, they're, they're going to have to go to a larger town to, to uh, sell their grain. Uh, but realistically, you can't save every rail line. Um, and so uh, while that program was enacted and it was beneficial to saving uh, some rail lines in rural Minnesota, uh, another provision that we put in, in the bill was that there would be um, a right for communities, counties, to access the right-of-way if there's an abandoned rail line um, so that we could put it to another public purpose uh, before it just goes on the private market and and gets bought up. And uh, so as you see, all the rail lines that have been converted to trails all across Minnesota, that was an outgrowth of that provision. And I wish I could say I knew this was going to happen, <laughs> but it was just enough forethought to think, you know, you've got to right away here, if the rail goes away, maybe we ought to think about other uses for that right away before we just turn it back into soybeans or corn.
2: So, And that brings up another good question. Was there anything specific that you either authored, co-authored, or, or helped champion when you were in the Minnesota Senate that particularly passionate about maybe still has an impact today? Yeah,
0: well, that was, that, that was a chunk of it. I also um, sponsored um, a Medicare rating system so that it would be like a, a four- or five-star rating system so that when you went out on the private market to get a Medicare supplement plan, you would have a better understanding of which policies uh, would be beneficial and which weren't. I played a huge role in some of the amendments to our workers' comp laws, here again being sensitive to uh, the small businesses that I knew uh, were struggling with those costs. I also sponsored during my six years in the state legislature every change or enhancement to our student financial aid programs, the grant and the loan programs that were offered to needy students across the state. Um, And so that was a pretty big deal. And that grew out of my leadership role as a student leader back at Winona State University. So I I had also been the first student on the Minnesota State University board, so kind of had that higher education credential. Yeah, uh, actually, a stronger credential than my railroad credentials. <laughs> um, no, and uh, and so uh, I, I take some pride in, in having played a role in sponsoring all those student financial aid bills.
2: Well, and you were 24 when you ran for office. You said six years, so maybe thirty. Thirty and got to Congress, yeah. And what was the the general? demographic of the senate and the house back then was it was it as young as you or were you the young one in in the ranks or what did it look like i imagine it's not as old as it is today
0: yeah i i was one of two legislators that were like in their mid-20s uh in in the senate Mm -hmm. there might have been a couple more in in the house um but I came in with, with a bunch of 30-somethings. So there were some that weren't a lot older than, than me. Uh, there were quite a number of us that got elected in 1976. Um, and then it, but politically, uh, it was lopsided DFL at that time. Um, I think there were, out of 67 senators, for like 45 Democrats and 22 Republicans. So it was really lopsided. There a blue having, wave at that time, right? Yeah, there now. was, um, because post-Watergate. Um, Democrats all over the country picked up seats at both the state and the federal level. Um, but even so, almost everything was bipartisan. Every bill I introduced, I had at least two Republican co-sponsors. That was just the norm. Unless it was the tax bill and sometimes the human services bill, where there'd be huge philosophical divisions between the two parties, uh, almost everything passed with bipartisan support. Uh, so it was a different era it's crazy than to we're think seeing about it. today.
2: Yeah. Crazy to think about nowadays. Yeah, you never or rarely see that. No.
0: <clears throat> why?
1: Why do you think that is? If you could narrow it down to one simple thing that there's, there's no, doesn't seem to be the reaching across the aisle like yeah. there used to be in your your day when you I, were in.
0: I can't narrow it down to one simple thing, but okay. but but if I were to list one thing that maybe is a bigger factor than other things, it would be um, the predominance of interest groups. And each party has their own collection of interest groups on the left and the right end of the spectrum. And uh, they're very effective at um, getting nominated the candidates that will be more beholden to their agenda uh, and then uh, and then making it difficult for you to buck their agenda once you're in office. Because they're the ones that are the most active. Uh, they're the ones that uh, can, can create controversy for you. Um, and it's hard it's hard to buck them. Uh, and especially in today's social media world, yeah. they've got outsized influence. And uh, and so I think that has primarily changed the nature of our politics. You know, back when I was in the state senate, I maybe voted with um, Education Minnesota 70% of the time. They were happy as clams. And now 70% is like, we can do better than you. Um and that's just one example. Every interest group kind of takes the same attitude. They want hundred percent. They don't want somebody that's with them most of the time. It's all the time, or you might as well be our enemy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do
1: you see any of that changing on the horizon? I mean, it just in seems the near to future. Be, yeah. You know,
0: I, I uh, you know, I studied political science and history in college, and, and I continue to enjoy reading history books more than anything else. But uh, a quote from uh, President Thomas Jefferson has always resonated with me especially in times when things seem to be rancorous and things aren't getting done and partisanship seems to be too prevalent. Um, His quote was, um, democracy is slow, cumbersome, and inefficient, but in due course the voice of the people will be heard and their latent wisdom will prevail. And I put the emphasis on latent wisdom. Because in any given year, it's like, when are folks going to figure this out? That this is not getting us anywhere to keep voting for candidates that are way here and way there on the left and the right. Um, But eventually they figure it out that this isn't working. And then they start voting for a different caliber of leader. We're not there yet.
2: We're due for it.
1: (laughs) Going to the independent side, I'll just kind of play off that a little bit. But deciding to give up the DFL uh, tag, if you will and go to an independent, um, when was that? What year was that that you decided to kind of shake the...
0: It was a couple years into Ventura's term as governor. Um, And um, I, I saw what a difference it could make to have a governor who appointed people to lead all the cabinet agencies who were not political cronies. He wasn't rewarding anyone or catering to this group or that group. He was actually able to appoint people that had the credentials to do the job and do it well. And I saw what a difference that made for our state. And I also thought on the big issues, he mostly got it right. Uh, you know, he did, um, he did uh, straighten out some of our school funding so that less was reliant on the local property tax, more reliant on state aid. Um, we had a surplus, and he wanted to give it back. Um, the Democrats wanted to spend it. And the Republicans wanted to give it back in a permanent tax cut, which then might have gotten us into trouble in the future when now we need that money again. And he said, no, let's just do a, a one-time rebate and see how things work out. So I thought in so many areas, picking a great cabinet, um, you know, redesigning our school funding system to a beneficial way, and, um, and, and then dealing with the surplus in a responsible way, I, I just thought he had good instinct.
1: I remember how big of a deal that was. Um- I, would, I was at Mankato West, and he came in 98, right? Was it 98 to 2000? He got elected
0: 98 in 98 in one term, yeah. 2002.
1: I remember, um, I think he came to the, I, th- I believe he came to the auditorium and spoke at Mankato West. Either that or there was some, some sort of big yeah. political rally or something. But anyways, I remember how big him saying that he was going to give these rebate checks back to the um, to Minnesotans and my parents talking about it at home, and I had no governor before that done that in a long time, or was that just a huge deal at that time, or much much different yeah, to what? I,
0: I don't know that we, you know, during my time in the state legislature, um, Governor Kui, a Republican governor, uh, was in office, and uh, we started out with a surplus, but we gave permanent tax cuts, it's what he wanted, uh, and we got into a huge... Challenge with the budget for several years thereafter. I think um, in my second was it my second term, yeah, second term of my uh, service in the state senate, we were in special session eight times to fix the budget hole. Um, So I I don't think we did the the rebate approach um, until Ventura. I could be wrong about that, right? But um, again, I thought it was prudent because. you're not sure the economy can perform badly. And then all of a sudden you don't have the surplus you had last year, but you've cut tax rates. Uh, So I thought it was better to just kind of take it as it comes. You have a rebate now and if surplus continues to build. We can do it again. Um, And um, so I think I'm losing my train of thought here, but
1: that's okay. I, I, um, I was going to ask you too as as part of a question since we're on that topic, but what was it what was it like to be a you were an um consultant in formal um, way kind of advisor way, behind,
0: way behind the scenes um, to I'd, jesse Ventura, yeah a body i i didn't I didn't impose my advice on him throughout his time in office a few times uh, he would seek me out and ask for my point of view. I remember one time he was going to go to testify in Congress in Washington about dairy policy, and so he pulled me in. And Having served on the Agriculture Committee in Congress for a dozen years, he just wanted to have my perspective on what he could or should say when he went. Um, but I, I, didn't, um, I didn't go out of my way to, to give him advice. Um, um, but I, I did get a call from him. Well, I shouldn't say that. Actually, the morning after he was elected, uh, and I hadn't voted for him. I was still trying to stay true to the Democratic Party at the time. Um, but um, but I, I had a lot of friends that I knew had voted for him, and one of them was my former chief of staff when I was in Washington. Uh, and it was a, a a young man from my same county, Wasika County, and... Um, And he was just an outstanding uh, individual, was a great chief of staff. He'd run a couple of my campaigns, so uh, just the best of the best. Well, he had called me the morning after the election at like 7.30 as I was driving to the Twin Cities to go to work. because I was commuting back and forth a lot in those days. And he said, if you get a chance to to connect with the governor-elect, I think I might have an interest in being his chief of staff. Within a half an hour, I get a call, and I'm, so it's on my car phone. I get a call from the uh, governor's family attorney, Shirley Chase, and she said we were sitting around having coffee this morning and trying to figure out what do we do now um, because we really need someone to help us pull all of this together and, and even better, someone that can maybe be the governor's right-hand person. She said, and your name came up as someone we should seek advice from. And I said, well, interesting, you should call. <laughs> I'm only going to give you one name, and I don't think you can go wrong. So I said, get a hold of Steve Bosacker. That night at 10 o'clock, as I recall, I get a call from the governor. And he said, Tim, I talked to your guy Bo- Bosacker tonight. I said, yeah. I'm aware he said I just have two questions is he loyal I said totally is he discreet I said to a fault he said I think I'm going to hire him so um I may have had a little bit to do with getting him in touch with someone that could help him be the kind of governor he, he wanted to be
1: yeah pretty impressive what he
0: uh what he did I think I, I, I you know my I liked him and I like Perpich and, and I think the reason is that they were they were down to earth they they, they, they weren't like your typical politician I remember during the campaign when um, the issue of gay marriage came up and I don't know what candidate Coleman said or what candidate Humphrey said on the Republican and Democratic side of the Uh, The the, uh, spectrum but I do know what Ventura said he said love is bigger than government you know he just spoke in layman's language and he got his point across and uh, so I think he's he's a much better governor than he gets credit for
1: how
2: close was
0: that election well he won with like 38% of the vote um, so the other two candidates split the rest. I think, I think by the end of the the day, um, Skip Humphrey ended up with twenty seven, twenty eight percent of the vote, and then the Republican candidate was somewhat higher than that, and then Ventura in the high thirties. Um, so yeah, it was a plurality win, but that's the way things work, um, unless you have ranked choice voting, which Minneapolis and St. <laughs> Paul have, and I was on their board of directors for. Maybe a dozen years, because I really think that that is a reform that could help um, bring some civility back to our politics, and uh, and give folks that maybe aren't happy with the Democrat and Republican Party somewhere else to lodge their vote.
2: Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Is I think that would really open up the third party, you know, option. Yeah,
0: I think it's the one reform that could do the most to improve our politics. I hope if Minnesota adopts it, and it looks like they might because the governor supports it, it looks like it's moving through the legislature, I hope 10 years from now I'm not proven wrong. Um, But I really think it could be beneficial because uh, uh, let's say you've got multiple candidates, Um, but the candidate that on on election night comes in with 40% of the vote can't win unless they get second-choice votes to get them over that 50% hurdle. Well, if you want second place votes, don't you going to do a little less negative campaigning because you're you're not going to want to turn off
2: totally changes the campaign the, the
0: voters that are supporting all these other candidates. Right. So I th- I think it will restore some civility to our politics and maybe get us back to talking about the issues instead of the personalities. Yeah.
2: That would be huge.
1: Well, I'm going to take a moment to take a shout out to our awesome drink sponsor which is Chain Creek, Ranch, Winery, and Distillery. We're sipping on some goodness tonight. Tim, myself, and Wes just enjoying each other's company. Uh, Myself, I am enjoying the Cabernet um, from Chankaska. It is their 2020 Cabernet. So uh, delicious, much better than that year was for many of us. Um, And we just really appreciate the sponsorship we've had with them ever since the inception of this podcast, haven't we, Wes? We really have. What are you sipping on tonight, my friend?
2: I'm doing a Ranch Road straight bourbon and Coke because mm. I just needed a little caffeine
1: tonight. I like it. It looks good. Is it as good as it looks?
0: Always good. Goes down smooth. <laughs> Yummy. What about you, Tim? What you, are you sipping on? You poured me the Chancaca, so I assume this is the cab.
1: That is that is the cab, <laughs> and it
0: is quite good. And my wife and I, um, on you know a Sunday afternoon or a Saturday afternoon when we don't have chores or other obligations. Uh, we'll either go to a brewery or we'll go to one of our regional wineries, and we love Chancaska. Well, good, thank you. Good winery.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's a great place. Like I've said many times, you know, doing our shout out for them on this podcast is uh, enjoy their their uh, delicious uh, spirits and wines and 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 uh, dessert drinks and such. But more importantly, go to the venue too. It's it's awesome. It's fantastic, especially when it starts getting warm out. You can enjoy the fire pit. Um, you can go check out live music at their event center, which I did uh, this last weekend, which was great. Uh, and when it gets warm, there's trails and bridges and things over the creek. It's just a beautiful spot. So thank you to Chan Well, I was curious if we could touch a little bit on um, your cancer journey with, your, uh, with Barb, the wife of 30 years. And um, if you don't want to talk about it, it's totally fine. Uh, but everybody seems to have a journey, myself included, with my own father. Um, and she passed away in uh, 2006. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, married for 30 years, four kids. Yep. Um, obviously uh, a big part of your life and your political career as well as just everything. Do you want to touch a little bit on that, that, uh, journey with Barb and what you
0: experienced? Well, um, there are a couple of things I can maybe share. And, and, um, And it's it's always <laughs> it's always hard to talk about her passing because um, it um, every every time I do it it's like the emotions well up. So um, I remember I was invited to give a, a speech for a fundraiser here in town for the hospice program, and in the final days. Uh, before she passed away we, we did get the benefit of hospice so she could stay home and be with us um, and and so I thought I'm good to go and I wanted to share with the audience here in Mankato what she said uh, at the relay for life speech that she gave the summer before she passed away because it was so powerful just how she shared her message um, and so i'm I'm basically kind of just sharing with them her her message and and I concluded by saying to the, the audience, you know, so I want to thank hospice for allowing my wife Barbara to say goodbye the way she wanted to say goodbye. But I'm bawling because it's just when I revisit <laughs> that, it's. <clears throat> so, um, but I will share this that um, we, um, when we came home from um, Mayo Clinic after uh, the diagnosis, Barb said to me as we're driving back to Wasika, Tim, I I hope you know that I'm not afraid to die. I'm just not ready to die. So we drove up immediately to our church and sat down with the pastor and said, here's the deal, they're giving her maybe three months and we need a miracle. And the pastor said, well, then let's pray for a miracle. And the miracle was that We had 15 months instead of three. And uh, part of the miracle was that even though she was a small lady, she tolerated all those treatments so well that maybe after a couple days after the treatment, she'd be kind of back to normal. Nobody in town realized what a struggle she was going through because she bore it well. And, and to all outward appearances, she was doing fine. And we thought for several months that we were maybe we going to be the lucky ones and, and she would beat this. Um, but um, it um, after a while, the treatments no longer were, were working, and we tried experimental stuff, and they ultimately didn't work either. Um. And, and then again, that's where, in the final days, uh, hospice came into play. One other thing I will say, though, is that my oldest granddaughter, Ramona, Molly's daughter, you've you know, my daughter, yeah. um, was was uh, 18 months old when Barb passed away. And so she's the only granddaughter that knows Barb in the sense that she yeah. was, com- was comforted and loved by it barb during those 18 months, and uh, two things about that. One is that now that I lead a foundation and about $2 million of our resources every year are spent on early childhood to help get kids off to a better start, help them get ready for kindergarten, et cetera, uh, I've learned in that that a lot of your emotional intelligence is formed in the first 18 months of your life. And Ramona had Barb for those 18 months. Anyway, on a happier note, we try to celebrate her life every January in and around the anniversary of her passing. And because of COVID, we've discovered the perfect way for all of my kids, their spouses, and now the eight grandkids to get together. We used to go to restaurants, but my son, my oldest son, told me several years ago as we were leaving a restaurant, I think we were becoming one of those groups that people dislike. <laughs> <laughs> so we started renting a movie screen all to ourselves. Oh, nice. And so for the last few years, we just have a movie theater all to ourselves, can watch Something that's current, if that's what we want, or we can have them it's put beautiful. something else in. So this year we watched the Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's a way of getting, it's, it's a way of helping the grandkids that never knew her mm-hmm. to know something about her because we're celebrating her every year at that event.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, don't ever apologize no. for that. This is, this is life, and it's, it's not always easy, but it is beautiful, you know. Um, what was your favorite thing? About uh, about Barbara, if I can ask, if you can narrate on she had such a
0: good heart. Yeah, um, and and she she cared deeply uh, about anyone that was in her life. Yeah, um, and part of the reason I took the job at the Southern Minnesota Foundation, which is just focused on twenty counties here in Southern Minnesota, uh, but it's it's all close to home, is because of what I s- what a difference I saw her make because she was on the community arts board. She was the education uh, uh, board chair for our church, overseeing the Sunday school program and the youth mission trips. Um, she was a mentor uh, through the Strive program, a Rotary-sponsored program, and she was the chair of the Healthy Kids, Healthy Communities uh, program in our town, where you brought the school district, the faith-based Community, the law enforcement, the business community, together around activities that would invest in the uh, the future of our kids, um, and I, I just saw what a difference she was making by keeping her focus local, and and how she brought people together. Um, so um, that that is her legacy, and and so with. With some of the memorial money, we created a Barb Penny Youth Fund that's managed by the Waseca Area Foundation, and every year they give away several thousand dollars to programs and activities focused on that community's youth. And um, so, yeah, she just had a good heart and and a good way with people, And, um, and she loved her family.
2: You were advocating at the state capitol, I think, today, for children. Yeah, I sure. went
0: up for Children's Day at State Capitol, and, and it was kind of a celebratory day because I think they do this every year, but because our foundation is involved heavily in early childhood work in, in this area, um, I wanted to be there, uh, but it was more celebratory because it looks like they're actually going to put some serious money behind early childhood education, uh, which oftentimes gets short shrift. If there's money left over, we'll do more there. Uh it looks like they'll increase uh, the child uh, care assistance program for low income families. They'll increase the the number of dollars set aside for scholarships for low income families to get their preschool age kids into quality child care and some other initiatives. So um so it was kind of a fun day.
2: Didn't uh, Governor Walls also sign something on the lunch side of things?
0: Yeah, that was a couple weeks ago already. Yeah. Um so yeah, they're they're um Focusing a lot of the surplus on education initiatives one way or another.
1: Well, let's transition that into uh, Smith, if you can tell people uh, what that uh, stands for and what... uh, How did you find Smith? Yeah, how did that happen? Obviously, get out of the...
0: Yeah, they kind of found me, (laughs) Um, and and I'm glad they did. Um, I mentioned a few minutes ago that I took this job, partly inspired by my wife, Barb, in terms of what a difference you can make by focusing closer to home, focusing locally. And 20 counties in southern Minnesota is local to me because it's basically the same region that I had the honor to serve when I was in Congress. Um, But um, I knew about the Southern Minnesota Initiative Foundation because uh, while I was in Congress, all of rural America was struggling through the farm crisis where interest rates were high, commodity prices were low, Far too many family farmers were losing their farms to bankruptcies, foreclosures. Uh, And we were trying to get farm credit legislation, farm debt restructuring legislation passed. But, you know, Congress is pokey. And so it took us a long time. We finally got it done, and, and I played a significant role in the legislation that was approved. And it did then give farmers an ability to restructure their debt, save their farms, stay in business, uh, but because so many lost their farms during that period, um, it also had an effect on most rural towns that were heavily reliant on the farm economy. And so the initiative foundations, including the Southern Minnesota Initiative Foundation, were created at that time with a huge grant from the McKnight Foundation. And McKnight is a metro-based foundation, Um They didn't really know a great deal about rural Minnesota, so instead of just saying we're going to do some grant-making to groups and organizations in rural, maybe the best thing we could do is to seed the creation of regional foundations, help them build an endowment, and let them figure out what they can do to build back the economies in their respective parts of the state. So there are six foundations covering the 80 non-metro counties in Minnesota, and we are one of those six foundations covering 20 of those counties again in south central southeastern so because we've got we're independent we're autonomous we are a 501c3 tax deductible organization and we have our own board of directors drawn from across this 20 county region with differing backgrounds and a lot of diversity um, it's the board of directors that decides okay if we got 5 6 million to disperse across this region every year What's the best way to do that? Um, and so we basically do three things. And if there's anything I learned in politics is if you spend too few dollars over too many things, you're not going to get much done. So we try to concentrate our funding in entrepreneurship to help new and emerging businesses grow in our region. Uh, we spend about $2 million annually in a variety of uh, programs and grants and other activities in support of early childhood needs in our region because the needs there are great. Uh, And then we have about 20% of our budget that's set aside strictly for grant-making and other activities focused on the smallest towns in this 20-county region. Uh, So that's it. Those are our three buckets, and uh, it's been very rewarding work. Our motto is collaborating for regional vitality because in each area of our work, we're trying not to step on anybody else's toes. We're trying to be a good, helpful partner, a complement, a supplement to what others are doing, Uh, because the sum, when you collaborate well and smartly, the sum is always greater than the parts.
2: No, and you guys do a wonderful job. I I have the unique uh, privilege of working with Smith on a number of different projects, whether it be the Prosperity Initiative, uh, working with a lot of diverse entrepreneurs, or just on a a case-by-case kind of grant basis with some of the uh, grant recipients that Smith uh, is so generous with and so it's really fun to be able to work alongside so many great people within the organization and see the impact that it has on a regional level. Um, when you came on board how old was Smith at that point and, and well, where have you taken it from yeah, there?
0: Smith has been around 37 years now um, and I came on board 16 years ago so almost half Almost half the time, um, so I was preceded by a couple of other leaders of the organization before they came uh, recruiting me. I, I, you know, and I, I, always admired the Initiative Foundation. I attended many of their programs and annual luncheons, things of that sort. So I knew about them, and having been in Congress during the farm crisis, I, I really appreciated that they came into existence. So I, I knew, I knew of them. Uh, I think I, I was actually tasked by them the last year that I was in Congress, to chair their endowment fundraising committee. Uh, and then a few years later, they asked me to co-chair a leadership circle of kind of business leaders in the region uh, that uh, that were not the board of directors but kind of an advisory board to the work of the foundation. So I had that kind of an ongoing relationship. Uh, but I wasn't looking to be their next president But the chair of their board back in 2006 was um, also um, a member of the congregation where my wife Barb and I went to church. And um, he came up to me at coffee hour. This is a few months after Barb passed away, and he said, we've got an opening for the presidency. Would you consider applying? And I said, you know, I just lost Barb, and I not making any major decisions for a while. In like December of that year, he came back to me and he said, we're still looking. Are you ready to consider it? And I said, well, I'll talk to your board. No harm in that. And after meeting with their board, I kind of talked myself into applying, and they hired me and been there ever since.
2: Very good.
1: Is there a favorite project that you've worked on, been a part of, supported? Uh,
0: I love local foods. Yeah. And probably because I grew up in a small family farm. Sure. We had our own little, you know, farm garden for, and my grandpa
1: had a huge garden.
0: And, <laughs> and uh, so if you've stayed overnight at grandpa's, grandpa and grandma's house, you, you were working the garden. Um, so, it, it, but, but, you know, in today's world, if you want to get into agriculture, you got to go big unless you're in local foods. And so I have a lot of passion for local foods because it can bring back small-scale agriculture. And, and, and some people are just happy to produce fruits and vegetables and do the farmer's market. But there's great opportunity to turn that into a business uh, because restaurants and, and, and um, um, grocery stores are looking to source locally. Um, and, and frankly, Chancasca, I mean, this is local, and, and, and people, people are looking for that. And uh, and we have the lay of the land here with the Minnesota River, the Mississippi River. It lends itself to small scale farming, and you you know if you want to turn what you're growing, whether it's you know whether it's meats and cheeses or, or whether it's produce in the garden, in, into a product, you you can make a family business out of this. So our foundation about ten years ago uh, gave a grant to renewing the countryside and said, let's, let's create a collaborative of all the groups that care about local foods, the sustainable farm groups, the food shelves, whoever they are, and let's figure out what the needs are in the local food sector so we can help grow that economy in southern Minnesota. And so this collaborative exists to this day, and two, three things have grown out of that. One is that um, the organization decided they wanted to do like a micro-lending program with reasonable interest rates, Uh, And we now house that Grow a Farmer loan program at our foundation. The other was that we want to draw more attention to local foods and what's going on in our region. Uh, And so uh, this collaborative, uh, led by Renewing the Countryside, but we're a partner and we're a funder, and we got the Minnesota Department of Agriculture to be a funder, um, organizes an annual feast festival, which is like a farmer's market on steroids, held at the Mayo Civic Center in Rochester, and this year, we've been doing it eight years now, we had 90 exhibitors, including some distilleries and breweries and wineries, but also syrups and sauces and cheeses and meats and you name it. Um, and we had 1,300 people come through that event, so it's really drawing attention to the exciting things that are going on with local foods in, uh, in Minnesota. And now this coming week, another aspect that grew out of this collaborative is we have a trade show And we're going to have over 50 exhibitors, local food producers, um, show their wares. And we've got roughly 60 buyers that are coming to this event to check this stuff out. And last year at the event, on the day of the event, like 55% of the buyers made purchases. Wow. And so we're hoping for an equally successful day. And it'll culminate in some business training programs at the end of the day, and I'll be there to. You know, make closing remarks, that kind of thing. Um, so I, of all the things we do, and I could get passionate about early childhood. I could be passionate about some of the exciting loan clients that we've had a small role to play with, like uh, Angie's Kettle Corn, which is now Boom Chicka Pop, or uh, Beth Finbo's business. Um, um, oh, what is it called? It's, it's um, something baby. Uh, it's it's a ah, yeah. it's a, it's a busy baby. Yep. It's a mat that sticks to any surface, including a high chair. Yeah, But it's got tethers that hang down from this mat Toys so that and, the cup, yeah. the spoon, the toy, the bowl that yep. the two-year-old wants to throw on the floor doesn't go on the floor, and they can retrieve it themselves. So we've got some <laughs> inciting loan clients that I could talk ad nauseum about. Um, but... If I were to name one thing that I think we've been very impactful in doing, it was to help launch that regional local foods collaborative.
1: That's huge. And when is the next, um, is that already passed? So March,
0: that let's see, next Thursday. The 20 uh, no, wait a minute. It's 30. tomorrow. It's March 23rd. <laughs> How ironic. <laughs> yeah, it's tomorrow <laughs> in Cannon Falls. Okay. Um, and I'm getting that confused with another event that's coming up next week. Uh, on a Thursday, which will be March 30th. And that's the annual um, Young Entrepreneur Competition. It's kind of like a shark tank that we also help to sponsor. And we're doing that in partnership with a group called Red Wing Ignites. And we've got awards for first, second, and third place in that competition So yeah, it's coming up tomorrow. The uh, local foods trade show
2: was that the bridge conference? Is that the same? The bridge conference is
0: is separate. It's an annual event here again, probably seven eight years that we're now holding down in Albert Lee. We get upwards of uh, eighty, a lot of our loan clients, but other small businesses that are trying to improve and enhance their economic future. Uh, And we always have you know panels and guest speakers. Last year's guest speaker was. um, Craig. Craig Culver yeah. from uh, oh, cool. from Culver's fast food, uh, and he told his family story. A few years ago, it was uh, the uh, the marketing guy from Quick Trip, which is also a family owned business. And you see Quick Trip all over the place. Uh, and they um, and they talked about how they started from scratch and built out their business. Uh, we had uh, famous Dave um, from the famous Dave. Yeah. Uh, and all of the, all of it is designed to inspire these other small businesses that are trying to grow that you know these all started small and it was a family business and if that's what you aspire to here's their story take some inspiration from that
2: yeah no it's very important work and i've gone to the entrepreneurial bridge conference i've had uh, clients of mine do feast and be a part of that and had great success with it. And so thank you for all that programming. Cause it's really important.
0: Oh, it's, it's a great organization and uh, I've got, a, there's a great staff. Um, half the people on the staff have been there longer than I have. Uh, so there's a lot of longevity, but that's also a lot of experience. That's also a lot of relationships that they've built over the years, which makes us more effective in each of our areas of work because they've been at it for a while and, 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 the other players in the region know them and trust them and rely on them. Um, so uh, kind of a happy camper to be uh, in this role at this stage in my life. Yeah. And, I, and I've often said it was kind of the same region that I had the honor to serve as, as a congressman, um, but politics doesn't enter in the equation. Everything we do at the foundation, as I said earlier, is collaborating. So our motto is collaborating for regional vitality and uh, we try to leverage our limited resources in the most effective way we can.
2: So what's most of your day today within the foundation?
0: On the road, mostly. Yeah. Um, Meeting people? Yeah. I, I was in Mankato um, on Monday for a couple donor meetings. I was in Mankato yesterday for the Green Seam um, State of Rural or State of Agricultural Report. Um, I, I'm doing the same thing in towns all over the region, and almost daily I'll be out and about. Tomorrow I'll be in Cannon Falls for our feast trade show. Uh, On um, Friday, um, I'll be heading to the Capitol again for the governor's children's cabinet, where we'll talk about some of the same issues that were highlighted today at uh, Children's Day on the Hill. Um, So um, I'm on the road a lot, uh, but it's all across this Southern Minnesota region, and uh, and it's all you know, meeting with partners, and meeting with donors, and meeting with other community leaders uh, that are involved in the same kind of work that we're engaged in.
2: So we probably shouldn't keep you out too late tonight, if you have to get to <laughs> Cannon Falls tomorrow.
1: <laughs> huh? They got a nice little winery there. I remember checking that out.
0: Yeah, I mean, they do. Downtown Cannon Falls. And, and we've held events at their winery as well.
1: They have the upstairs and the downstairs,
0: right? Yep. If I remember the meeting correctly. meeting space is upstairs, although I think they can use the downstairs space for meetings as well.
2: Right. It's a nice place. Tim, we were talking earlier about how many different uh, wineries, breweries that you guys have had as loan clients over the years. I now have a great marketing idea, and I will 100% be the first person to buy a ticket. Let's do a bus tour.
0: <laughs> you know?
2: <laughs> and go check them all out.
0: Well, I like it we did something like that last May and it was, yeah, yeah, it was very well received and and maybe you're right. Maybe we could do more of that.
2: Um, Capture testimonials along the way. I know a certain video company that could capture, you know, all of that on (laughs) file for
0: you. Well, we had some sort of an, uh, because of COVID, we couldn't do a lot of in person meetings. And so for two years, instead of an annual luncheon or whatever, we did kind of an online uh, trivia contest. And the winner of the trivia contest, we'd get a certain prize, but they also did like a raffle affiliated with the trivia contest, sure. and one of the raffle gifts was to be on the bus tour to go check out the winery or the uh, breweries in southern Minnesota, and so naturally, we you know we got a busload of people to do that, but we focused on. The breweries that were loan clients of our foundation, naturally, and um, so we went to Eminent Brewery in Northfield, and Half Pint Brewery in Waseca, and Little Thistle Brewery over in Rochester, and it was a, it was quite a fun day.
2: Yeah, sign me up. All right, you're, I'm game.
1: You're on the I'm, list. I'm game too. Honestly, well, that's great. Well, Wesley, do you, did you have any other?
2: Well, I things? think we'd go on for quite a while, we but could. like I said, we need to, <laughs> to make sure Tim get, can get home. Get Tim opening. on his way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, one, uh, I think people probably listening to uh, Tim tonight have probably realized that he's very involved and passionate about a lot of things in his life. One of the quotes I had from somebody uh, that knows him quite well said, um, he's fascinating, driven, kind, he's a kind hearted individual. His entire life and career has been about service.
0: Um, I'd only dispute the fascinating part.
1: Oh. Okay. He's disputing it. But I I think I've been fascinated tonight with the story and and things. A hundred percent.
2: You know, one thing before you get before you get too into it, and this is probably not gonna even surprise or anything for you, but back I think you were doing your gubernatorial run um so it would have been what 2000 yeah i thought
0: ventura's a wrestler i was a high school wrestler why why not me yeah, right <laughs> it didn't quite work out the same way it did for him well i like the continuation
2: <laughs> of the independent party though i think that we need to get a little bit more gumption there and keep that rolling but um <laughs> anyone that knows my family will get a kick out of this i think it was 2002 then uh you were doing a campaign event at emma crumbies at oh, yeah. the orchard there and my dad uh, and myself and my sister and my mom were all up there, and <laughs> your former congressman running for governor. And my dad is just, you know, out there doing his thing. Sees you across the way, starts yelling, "Hey, Tim!" Like you guys are best friends. Like he knew you for forever. And I can tell you come over looking at him like, "Do I do I do know I? you?" And the rest of my family is just shy they're just just walking away like why is dad calling him tim (laughs) that's that's congressman (laughs) penny
0: you know but But, you handled it so well but but it also gets back to the point i i made when we began this podcast tonight and that's about it's about relationships Mm -hmm. and and if you focus on meeting the people that you want to serve right uh getting out and about and in crossing paths and touching base if it gives them a sense that they can relate to you, it, that helps you do your job better. Yeah. So uh, I'm flattered. And I remember going to Emma Crumbie's that day, and it wasn't an event. What it was is that we were between events, mm. and I saw that they had kind of their farmer's market thing going on, and I said, pull over. Because my idea was uh, on, on any given day, if my schedule has eight events, I'm going to turn it into 12 Because you're always driving by other opportunities to meet people. And so we just stopped by, and I probably bought some stuff at the farmer's market and got a chance to meet some people. And so I don't remember specifically being (laughs) called by your dad. But I do remember being at Emma Crumbies.
2: (laughs) Well, it's still a funny story in the family. And so when I told my dad, I said, yeah, so this week the podcast guest is Tim Penny. And he goes, oh, well, tell... Tell Tim, his old friend Rick says... <laughs> <his>
0: <laughs> well, tell my old friend Rick, yeah. <laughs> hello,
1: in yeah. return. Yeah. Will yeah. do. Oh, that's great. Cool. Well, um, at the end of every podcast, Tim, we do something called the final five, fire five question. He looked nervous for a second. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy.
0: You asked me my favorite five Beatles songs. I probably couldn't come up with them, <laughs> even though I'm a lifelong fan. Right?
1: I, I won't do that to you. I won't do that to you, but... Uh, we end with five questions and you answer how you wish and take your time if you need to, or you can answer them fast. Ready?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to be fast.
1: You No, you do your thing. Uh, question number one. If you could choose one band, I know you love the Beatles. But okay, set them aside. Well, you can choose them, but you choose one band to listen to for the rest of your days. Okay? Only oh. one. You can't listen to anything else. Only one band. Which band would it be? Moody Blues. The Moody Blues. Yeah. Okay.
0: I did, not that I don't love the Beatles, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. They, they, it's mood music. Right. And and every album has a theme. And um, yeah, they just have a unique sound. Is there a favorite
1: song from the Moody Blues?
0: Uh, or an album? Mo- most people would say Nights in White Satin. Um, I might say in your wildest dreams. Okay. Writing it down.
1: Question number two. So obviously you've been a part of assisting, helping, inspiring many businesses, uh, through your time at Smith and in politics in general, believing in entrepreneurs and business. Um, if you could do it all over knowing all the things, you know, now, right. Would there be a business that you would start an entrepreneurial journey that you would do,
0: Okay, can I back up to the, uh, the Moody Blues? Oh, sure. Because if I, you know, the Beatles are like here, the Moody Blues are like <laughs> I could listen to them in heaven. Uh, Casting Crowns, a Christian rock band. Yeah. Love everything they do. And my, my wife, Sandy, gave me a surprise birthday present. And I told her, she said, are you sure you don't want to know? I said, no, you said it was going to be a surprise. Don't tell me at the last minute what it is. Just surprise me. Well, I knew it was going to be something at the uh, Target Center because we went to dinner across the street from the Target Center. But I didn't know what it it was because I'm clueless. I wasn't paying attention to which bands are playing there. We walked in, and I saw the sign, Casting Crowns. And I almost cried. It was just like, what a thoughtful gift. Um, So I could listen to their music a lot, too. Uh, But in terms of it was probably Local Foods. I mean, I, I really yeah. am so passionate about small-scale farming and bringing it back. Um, and, um, and I think that's, that's the pathway, to bring back small-scale farm operations. And, uh, you know, we've still got, in, in the family, uh, 30 acres. Uh, 25 acres is woods. <laughs> we've got five acres sitting there. And... Uh, if and when I retire, I wouldn't mind getting down and dirty in the fields and doing something like that and turning it into a, a nice little business.
1: Very cool. And that's in Keister. Home, yeah. home, the family we, farm. We, we always say
0: East Keister. East <laughs> Keister. We're five <laughs> miles east of Keister. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like it. Oh, that's great. Question number three. I don't know what time you go to bed, but let's, you know, that'll be a side thing, but... Let's say you're up at midnight, right? You're hungry. What does Tim have for a midnight snack if he's up at midnight?
0: Most likely Honey Nut Cheerios. Yeah. Do you
1: wait? Let the Honey Nut Cheerios soak in the milk a little bit to make no, it soggy? No, no, I like soggy. them Eat the crunchy. It right away? I like them crunchy. You like them cutting the roof and, of your mouth? And,
0: and I put way too much sugar on them, even though they're already sweet.
1: <laughs> Honey Nut Cheerios. I haven't had those in a while. Question number four number one lesson you learned while in your political career?
0: I think I referenced it earlier in the show. If you uh, s- spend too little money over too many programs, you're, you're not going to make a difference at all. So learn how to focus and prioritize if you want to get anything important done. Do you think that happens quite a bit in today's? I don't think it happens at all. <laughs> yeah, i, I think point. they just can't say no and so they just you know spend a little here spend a little there and it means that things that are probably the most important don't get the money they need to right. actually get the job done because they just can't resist spending it here there and everywhere else
1: yeah to appease no question number five this is a, a common one on the get deep podcast and the final one of the night but we think it's important that's why we keep doing it um message right you've given us a lot of wisdom night and your experience in life and whatnot. But if, uh, if tonight was your last night on this floating orb in the sky, um, with all the wisdom, experience you've, you've uh, garnered over the years, what would be the final message Tim Penny would give to your family, friends, loved one, people that have inspired you?
0: Uh, live with purpose. You know, you Most of us aren't going to change the world, but we can change our part of the world and figure out what you you can do to contribute to making a difference.
1: I love that. So true.
0: Very true. Well,
2: let's do a little bit of an extended end of the show because I realized that we didn't plug, and not that we need to, but I, I think we should because quite frankly when I was doing my research I was a little upset with myself. Sometimes we know well enough in advance and we bother to... Read if if we find the guest book interesting. There was at least two of those three books that I thought, gosh, I'd actually like to read those, and I didn't get a chance to before we had John talk about the books.
0: Uh, just very briefly, and I only brought them because I wasn't sure where this show was going to go, <laughs> and I thought, well, they might ask about the books, so it might not be a bad idea to grab a couple off my home library shelf. Uh, when I left Congress, I was approached by a publishing company to to, to write a book. And, uh, and so um, I thought, hmm, I'm not an author. Um, but a friend of mine who was then a journalist for uh, the Washington Times uh, suggested that uh, he wanted to help me write the book and, uh, and we ended up being great partners in that effort. And basically it's just a book about the cultures of Washington, spending culture, the power culture, the interest group culture, all the things that stand in the way of just getting things done and, and doing what's best for the country. Uh, and so the, the book is Common Sense. And um, anyway, then shortly after that book came out, he came up with um, a suggestion for a second book that we could write together. And um, it started with a title, The 15 Biggest Lies in Politics. And I thought, well, that's that title alone should... S- become a bestseller, uh, and it didn't become a bestseller. Uh, but, but the book is really designed to just look at issues, whether it was Social Security reform, Medicare reform, tax cuts, balancing the budget, immigration, big issues, important issues that needed to be addressed, and try to explain why both sides can't seem to get together and get the work done. So that became the 15 biggest lies in politics because it was to expose the lies very often each party will tell you that then don't help us get to a real discussion and a real solution. Uh, And when I pulled this off the shelf, I didn't realize that it was a book that came back to me after my mother passed away six years ago. And I had given this book to her with the inscription, to my mother, who taught me a lot about truth, who nurtured my interest in politics, who encouraged me to do my best, and who inspires me still with love, Tim. And then the third book that I wrote with, um, and I I won't say I wrote this because I basically sat down for a taped interview with a college professor at um, Carleton College who wanted to write a textbook about fixing the federal deficit and getting us back to a balanced budget, and it's called Payment Due. Uh, a Nation in Debt, A Generation in Trouble. Uh, and this book uh, just basically focuses on how difficult it is for us to rein in the red ink uh, because um, the platitudes from both parties aren't getting us there. Um, Democrats don't want to cut spending for the most part, and they think that you can tax the rich and solve all these problems, but there aren't enough rich people. And Republicans want to cut everything except the Pentagon, uh, and then they think They pretend that tax cuts will somehow grow the economy so we won't have to make any tough decisions, and both are false promises. Um, So that's the nature of this book, but it was written to be a college textbook, and it was used 20 years ago in some college um, uh, classes. Um, And in a funny way, um, even though we didn't make a lot of money on, on this book at the time, Uh, Once in a while, I'll still get a royalty check in the mail, and the last check I got was like three, four years ago, and it was for 16 cents. (laughs) (laughs) Very good.
2: Oh, goodness. I like it. Well, and one other opportunity, too, if folks want to learn more about Smith, maybe their business, we've got a lot of business folks that listen to the podcast, so if there's a a plug to check out the website or reach out to someone on the staff, maybe?
0: Yeah, well, you can Google Southern Minnesota Initiative Foundation, and we should be the first thing to pop up. You can do www.smifoundation.org. Call us at 507-455-3215. All of that works.
2: Great. And for all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Make sure that you leave us a review on whatever platform you like to listen on if you want to. Give us a follow too so you can get a notification the next time an episode comes out. And of course, social media also a welcome place to follow us. Thank you for listening and have a good night.
1: Yeah, thank you, Tim. Appreciate thank your you. time. Thank you.